everybody. Josh Wiggler here. We are back with some additional coverage of Westworld Season 3, the Season 3 premiere that dropped earlier this week. Joe Garfine and I already have our recap up on post-show recaps, but this season, we're bringing in special guests as we can on rolling basis to, to go through your feedback, to talk about the show, uh, theorize, talk about nonsense. I'm sure much nonsense to be discussed here in this space. And to that end, uh, it, it gives me great joy to bring in my first nonsense partner, uh, somebody who I have not talked to on uh, an official podcast microphone since a long time ago in a jungle very far away, uh, but a man who is uh, who, who knows a thing or two about the technology at the heart of Westworld. Uh, it is the great robotics expert himself, uh, a, to- a full-on David. The great professor Christian Hubicki. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Josh. It's great to be I here. Don't do, I don't do the intros as well as Rob does. Well, uh, well you don't but, have the stinger with the with the bell. You don't ding the bell no. after the things. I, it's a one. That's the one. But but it's a wonderful. I need a thing. You, I need a thing. You know what? What thing? You know, I don't know if you. I, I don't know what a wombat sounds like. I mean, if you made a little, uh, if there's like. <laughs> a, is it, so I don't think that's what it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, it's possible it is, but you could always that could be your stinger. I guess. Just a guess. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure how well that'll that'll go over in the long run, but uh, <laughs> for the first few times of it, that'll be hilarious. All so. right. We'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see if we can come up with a let's crowdsource a wombat noise. If anybody has a good suggestion for a wombat noise, we can uh, have that be Wiggler's Bell uh, is the is the sound of a wombat. Christian, of course, if you are not uh, a Survivor fan, uh, Christian uh, played on Survivor. He was spectacular on Survivor. He's a great friend of mine. Uh, and it really is actually pretty crazy to me. Christian uh, never would have guessed this, that our first time podcasting together after first one out would be on a Westworld podcast. Uh, I feel like this is probably just going to uh, mutate into a grand excuse to talk about Survivor. <laughs> well, we'll see where it goes. We'll, we'll, uh-huh. I, I'm, I'm sure we'll find, find some topics. It, but yeah, the... Uh, but it seemed I, it was. I'm glad you reached out to me about this, Josh, because you know I, um, you know, it is my my. I am a professor, and I and my research is in uh, is in robotics, and particularly uh, robots that that get up and you know walk around on two legs. So like, it, so I know a lot of people watch Westworld and have questions about it. And so when you said you want to do a feedback episode about it, like, oh, this is perfect. You know, ask questions about Westworld, uh, you know, the robotics, the, sort of the robotics technologies involved. Um, and I can give, you know, we can, we can talk through it. I mean, it'll be fun. Uh, how are you doing, Christian? State of the world. Very, uh, there's a lot happening right now. I'm sure everyone would love to know just to check in on you and, and make sure that everything's going okay. So I am fine here. I'm actually down in Tallahassee, Florida. Um, you know, me and Emily, we're, we're pretty well sheltered in and isolated. So basically, your Emily, not my, my Emily. yeah, we, 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 we each have an Emily, something we, yes. I think we bonded over on, at, at, on the island as well. Um, and we're, we're fine. And, um, and for, in terms of my class load, I mean, it, all, all the, all the professors are having to learn how to teach online. Um, thankfully though, for me, I don't have any teaching load this term. So, uh, as a result, I can focus on my research and a lot of that I can do from home, which is nice. Uh, yeah. although, although our robots are, I guess are getting, are getting a little lonely in the lab right oh. now. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 now that I think about it, uh, you know, so maybe they, they could use some, you know, they're, they're getting some mandatory social distancing themselves. So I'm sure they're, they're, they're Is anyone personal. going in and, and checking in on them, making sure that they, they've got occasional uh, companionship or they, they're having to tough it out like the rest of us? Well, I went in this past weekend. I kind of gave a little tour. I checked in on our robot, Cassie. It's kind of this ostrich looking robot. Um, and, and it's kind of sitting there and, you know, we, I stretched his legs a bit, you know, just to show it off. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, it, it's, 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 
doing okay so far. And I'll keep go, keep going in to check on it at least once a week. So, uh, Who wins in a fight, Cassie or Dolores? This is not a question we received, but it's a question that I have. Uh, well, I believe Dol- Dolores has a gun. So I think that's, yeah. a, that's, a, that's a big advantage. Um, and, and she's basically unstoppable, it looks like. It, it, uh-huh. It's something we can talk about <laughs> in, in, about the episode. So uh, whereas Cassie, you know, you know, Cassie's pretty good at walking around. It can, you know, it doesn't need to see obstacles as it walks on them and can kind of recover which is which is cool but you know i think i, I think that dolores, dolores could just shoot it so i i gotta give it the advantage to add dolores i feel like we were uh talking about westworld on the island when you and i met in fiji ahead of david versus goliath i cannot remember the context but i absolutely remember i think i was trying to map what it is like to work in robotics onto what it must be like to live in the world where Westworld is a thing uh, because I'm dumb and I thought it would be <laughs> cheeky uh, and maybe that would yield a fun soundbite. And I feel like it probably did. Uh, but at the, at the same time, I, 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 I think that you're a great person to talk to about all of this stuff because Jonah Nolan and Lisa Joy, who make the show, really pride themselves on doing their research and, and grounding this in some level of reality. Uh, the technology that they are, are leaning on, they're trying to you know, work with experts in the field and look towards the future and what may or may not be possible while still maintaining that line of, you know, having an entertaining fantasy story, basically. Um, from your perspective, Professor, uh, how how does this all hold up? Is, is Westworld just like schlocky entertainment? Are there are there slivers of ideas in here that that uh, really resonate with you? Um, give us just the the lay of the land. So uh, I'm glad you gave me that little piece of context in terms of the showrunners because I, I purposely tried not to read ed- what the showrunners were talking about so I could come in with like fresh opinions on this. Yeah. And it and their research really shows. I am overall my, – my, my overall impression of the show is that they did their homework and what they are showing on the show are like reasonable science fiction-y interpretations of things that are happening today. Um, from everything from the, um, from the kind of the centralized AI that Rehoboam from this most recent episode. I thought that was interesting. I'm sure we'll talk about that. Um, but like the, when I, when I, when I peel back all the little bits of robotics that they talk about, I'm like, yeah, no, that's, that's for the most part is quite reasonable. It's not crazy. And, um, and so I'm overall very impressed with the way they managed to make a futuristic sci-fi show about robots trying to take over the world into something, you know, v- feel very grounded. Um, there are little things I think there are interesting touches that, that I can point out um, over the course of the podcast. Good, uh, interesting, or bad interesting? Good, there's lots of good, interesting ones. Okay. And then there are also some some things that people that wouldn't – that make sense they would get cut from the show – uh, if you're making a sci-fi show, uh, that are real problems with robots that are, that are difficult to get over, that they, that they kind of like, they kind of MacGuffin away, which is totally reasonable for a show like this. Um, but yeah, so, uh, I, like, I guess, uh, I guess where should we start here? Um, uh, I guess we have, the, we do have the, uh, the Westworld robots overall. Westworld uh, robots overall. Yeah. I mean, are we, are we, I, I guess like, so, so this takes place in, we finally got a, a, a date on the board. I think HBO is, uh, openly saying 2058 is when the show is taking place right now. Um, it, the, the premiere takes place. I think that you could do the math. Uh, when Bernard says, when, when is the last time you had contact with Dolores Abernathy in 90-something days? So it's about 90 days since they escaped the park. Uh, so 2058 and that would be 30 years past the point 
that they have started uh, 34 years past the point that they have started uh, doing the the original stages of Dolores in the first run of of hosts like back in like the Arnold era before all of the 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 fit hits the shan in in that regard um, are we th- does that mean we're like what Four years away. It's like twenty twenty four is when is when Arnold is is building like the Dolor the mechanical Dolores. It looks so like so. Is that that we're not there? No, we're not there. That's yeah. I'd say that's the one. I mean, I I, I want to lead with a lot of praise generally for the show because they do a lot of things right. But I have to point out like four. I mean, it'd be one thing to have four years from a robot that is reasonably practical and walking around. Um, but like the, the big MacGuffin for me in terms of the robotics there, uh, uh, one of, one of a few is that they get it to be so human like, yeah. um, I mean, and, and like, like, and so accurate. Like if you looked at even those early versions of Dolores, I, I don't know if that's one of the earliest versions that they show, if that's 2024 or not, but like, that's so convincing. That's so real. And people are working on like animatronic faces, making them more real and they're making progress, but you know, he, the human eye is so good at detecting kind of fakeness in human in, in human faces, particularly in human behavior generally. And yeah, even like uh, next gen video gaming, right? Like even like uh, like a, a, like the the highest quality PlayStation Four game that has like the the best graphics that you've ever possibly seen. Even like their depictions of what a human being looks like. It's the uncanny valley. Like the teeth are off. You know, like what, whatever that is. Like it's just we're we're not all the way there. Uh, and to to replicate that even in in uh, our grounded reality uh, feels like we've got we've got a long way to go before we're able to do that. Right. That's I think that to me it, that's the biggest conceit of the show. Uh, one of the bigger conceits of the technology of the show is that not only did they manage to make a robot that can interact in reality. Uh, and do practical things, but it's, it's convincingly and unmistakably human-like. And that's, that, that is the biggest thing. And you're right. The uncanny valley is the key term there. And you pointed out the, the that's a point I often bring up when I'm talking to other roboticists, Josh, about look in CGI, you know, even in that perfect where we have control over every pixel. You know, uh, the the best looking CGI that people come up with is like edited pixel by pixel, like when they make Robert Downey Jr.'s face look younger in like Captain America, right. like in, in, in like one of the Marvel films, right? And so, like, it, like they, they, you have artists who are kind of like who are, I guess, aided by computer, you know, by computer technology, but they're also like individually smoothing frames sometimes. So that's where we're at in computers as opposed to reality. So yeah, anyway, but but I but I will say that like the idea of like someone like an Arnold or a team like an Arnold uh, and Ford back in the day, like of people who have who have vision, um, really making some big advances in robotics on their own is, is not crazy. Um, robot, uh, while lots of technologies really require massive teams to make uh, research progress, um, medical science being one of them, I think about. There's lots of you have, there's lots of research that needs to take place in order to make big advances. Sometimes you just get someone, some some some, some guy or gal who comes up with a really smart idea and can put it in a robot and it does something that they hadn't seen before. Um, for instance, there's a there, there's a gentleman in Japan. I, I don't know his name, I, but but his YouTube handle is pretty popular. He makes these tiny little humanoid robots that are about the size of about a foot tall. Okay, and they and and uh, like a GI Joe. Yeah, yeah, I would say a little bigger than a GI Joe, and it, they look like a robot. It looks like almost the uh, like the real steel robots that uh, um, from right, that, the, Hugh, the Hugh, boxers, yeah, yeah. The Hugh Jackman movie. Um, and and they walk around in a really nifty way. They can they can actually walk on a balance beam. They ride a little bicycle. I'm like, and this guy's like a, like a craftsman. 
and knows how to make these cool things. And you're like, so, so that idea of having uh, a Ford and a Ford and, a, um, and an Arnold uh, getting together and make cool robots on their own, that's not crazy. Um, and I also like the idea um, of, of sort of the vision of Westworld of having these humanoid robots and the logical part of your brain would be like, who wouldn't bother to spend all this money uh, to make a theme park where you have to invest in entirely new technologies to make a robot that is convincingly human just to convince people at a theme park? That's like such a crazy idea. But it works because Ford is kind of crazy. Right. And, and, <laughs> I think that that's a critical piece of it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, 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 that, and that conceit kind of works. And, and there's parallels to that in real life. I mean, there are real life entrepreneurs. Drag uh, people, Christian. Drag people. Oh, I yeah. see. see uh, uh, there, uh, I, I have to, I have to, I have a career I have to maintain. In. You've got a career to maintain. <laughs> I've got a career Bring to maintain in. here. Yeah. But, there, but there are real life entrepreneurs um, and ones you might not even know their names um, who will dump sometimes tens of millions of dollars into um, pretty um, ambitious robotics projects. Uh, like, like there's actually a, um, and not to say this person is crazy, but there's actually a, there's actually a project out of Korea where they built a two foot tall mech that walks. And um, when I first saw a YouTube video, I, I didn't believe it at first. Like, who would spend money that, that 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 would cost millions of dollars? And sure enough, some entrepreneur you know forked over something like twenty five million dollars to build a giant mech. Now it. Uh, what they're going to do with that is 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 is, is, is um, anyone's guess, but like, yeah, people do that kind of thing. Um, let's get into some of the technology that we are seeing in the current timeline because it, it looks like by the end of the episode that the that the park itself is going to come back into play soon. Um, but for the vast majority of the premiere, we are seeing our world. We are seeing, uh, you know, mostly Los Angeles in 2058, and we have Aaron Paul's character Caleb, who is working alongside a robotic construction worker we had some questions about that that character's name is george, george. Uh, as somebody who is a, a a namer of robots do you like the name george for a robot george is fine for a robot everyone george has is a, fine <laughs> george is fine i mean yeah. everyone has their own style uh, of of naming robots i mean if it's a if it's, if it's a series of robots you know you often give it a lot more thought if it's just like this is my one uh, a clearly a fact, factory assembled robot. Yeah, call it George. Why not? Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's yeah. George the robot. So there's George the robot. There's you know stuff like the Rico app that Caleb is using, which is like hand pocket Grand Theft Auto meets Uber. Uh, you know, there's there's all these things. There's these implants in uh, people's brains that seem like you can kind of like self medicate digitally. I'm 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 struggling to figure out exactly what that is. What stood yep. out to you about sort of the the future world. And I think just in terms of like the Westworld mythology, it does feel to me like they are, they're kind of winking towards that. that there was future world was a sequel to, to Westworld. Oh, uh, I believe I, it was like a park in the Westworld yeah. uh, universe. Maybe not. I, I don't remember. No, I've never I, seen it. I, honestly. I, yeah. I mean, yeah, there was a future world. I forget what the names of the movies were. I definitely watched both of the movies after yeah. the Westworld came back. And I, and by the way, I'd say I, I, that first season of Westworld, I was so happy with that. It's one of the rare shows that, the entire rest of the series could go off the rails and I wouldn't care because I was just first season was so good. First season, I can yeah. watch that in, 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 and it doesn't leave us so, I mean, it kind of ends in a cliffhanger. Uh, but at the same time, I can just assume in my head how the robot uprising goes forward from there. Totally, and I'm fine totally. with that. I love that. Um, yeah, I think so, some, many people uh, did that. Many people did just watch that first season <laughs> and, and decided, well, the show went off the rails. I'll just call it there. Yeah. And so, and, um, 
so uh, one thing I do like about this premiere is that it does the most world building I think the show has done since the premiere of the whole series. Uh, in that they have to, that they're introducing you to the whole human world and they have to show you what that, what that world's like. So that way it makes sense that people would go into a crazy theme park, that it makes sense that people would own a crazy theme park with, uh, with, with robots and, and you get a sense of what people are like. And it, it's got a, fairly misanthropic view of uh of humanity um which i guess is which is not a surprise if you've been i, I to me based on what oh, i've seen yeah. the west world one uh, of the one of the things i was at the premiere in in hollywood a few weeks ago uh and lisa joy and jonah nolan gave a big speech uh at the at the chinese theater in the middle of hollywood uh before they aired the premiere for everybody and lisa joy like had some cheeky comment about like uh uh our show like exists in the future and as you'll see we don't have a lot of hope for it uh like like, as a way of like setting up how they have a lot of uh how they have a lot of happiness and and faith in uh uh their crew and everything which is like the world's pretty bleak right now and by our show you could tell we don't think it's getting much better wow yeah i mean it's uh and that's certainly a a viable view to take for a science fiction show i mean and we can talk about a few of the technologies i mean you mentioned the the implants and and again this is a little outside my area of expertise and Technically speaking, uh, I'm guessing that those wafers, uh, those very communion religious like wafers that people were eating, uh, like, like Catholic wafers, I, I feel like that's a very intentional, um, visual choice that they totally. made. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, uh, it's, uh, um, yeah. So I, I, I wonder if I'm allowed to use them. You're allowed to use a, them. I mean, as a as a, ha- as a as a half Jewish person, I don't know. I'm, I I don't know the rules, Josh. You'll have yeah. to consult an expert on that. But the, I'll, ta- but, I'll talk to a theologian, right? And, and I think that um, my like I don't like to do like predictions about what's going to happen, but it's very very clearly these implants um, and this mention of this 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 uh, this this God fearing part of the brain. I think it's the nucleus accumbens. I wrote it down. Right. Um, I, I I wouldn't be shocked if like if if Dolores went and hacked these implants and then made human it made, made all the humans worship the robots as gods uh i don't know there's a lot yeah. of there's there's you know the title of the episode is uh obviously you know the religious imagery is all over the place in this episode the title of the episode what parse domine yep, yep um yeah so uh which which brought me back to my uh my uh medieval music history days mm. which was uh which, which was a blast from the past uh but the uh, i would love to do a separate podcast on that yeah. at some point okay. because you can't just like throw that out there and us not be like tell us more about your medieval music history days uh, I, I, i'm sure i'll drop a story put at a some point but yeah but yeah the, um but yeah there's um so um and, the, and that's the title of the episode rehoboam of course is I, I, I at least i had to look it up and you know the jewish king i believe the yep. king of judah um but it, so like that's that's of course very baked in so i wouldn't be surprised if there's some message about the robots being the gods that we made that's really hammered in, hammered home by the end of the season so yeah that's that's good i really like that i think that that makes a lot of sense um as, as far as the implants People walking around with computers in their heads. What is this? I don't know. I mean, like it's, we, we try to imply in the opening scene they set up with that with that uh, mean man who uh, gets murdered by Dolores. Uh, I guess one of several. Um, who he eats that wafer to go to bed, and pre- and presumably he coded it to like for he would sleep for six hours in exactly six hours. So I don't know if by eating the wafer that can't be the implant because you you don't just digest an implant, right? Uh, so, but somehow maybe. It, it, I don't even know what the wafer, how that correlates to the implants at all. Do you have any thoughts on that, Josh? I am not clear on that. 
No, the implants have really, I mean, they're like, uh, it just gives me like a lot of uh, triggering memories of like uh, palate expanders from my youth. Uh, <laughs> not that I had one, but I had a lot of friends who did. Mm. Uh, and I had to be uh, a, a shoulder for them to cry on. Uh, and I'm sure that many of you who had to suffer the palate expander uh, can can only attest to the to the to the pain and torture that comes with such a device. Uh, and to me, all I can think of when I'm seeing these people put the wafers in their mouth is like, you guys all opted for palate expanders in the future. How desperate are we? <laughs> you know, but it looks like it's something like you'd like digest those wafers, right? It looks like right. something like because uh, um, what's the character? Uh, Caleb Reynolds, his mom. Yeah. Uh, it, oh, it, Caleb Reynolds is the beast mode cowboy. Oh, I get them confused. Uh, Ca- Ca- I, I get them confused. <laughs> Caleb so, Nichols is the Aaron Paul. Okay. It'd be a very fun uh, season premiere if uh, Caleb from Survivor was the Caleb we were seeing uh, on this show. Oh, got it, got it. So, yeah. uh, so his mom actually takes a bite out of the wafer. So uh, when she takes it, so I, there's some kind of correlation between maybe you program the wafer and then therefore when you digest the wafer, the wafer gives information to the implant, which seems a little odd to me, wouldn't you? You know, presumably the implant could communicate wirelessly. You could actually just. Uh, um, you can just program it to do things. So I'm not exactly sure what that relation is, but other than the obvious religious imagery, I think that they're going for. Uh, but anyway, that's but that's less about what I know. I, there there sure, are lots sure, of robots sure. in there that'd be fun to talk about too. Yeah. So I we, we've got a lot of feedback. Let's let's start getting into some of this stuff. Uh, and and one that I would love your your insight on Christian. If you if you saw what I did there, because there's a company called Insight. I now did. On, I did on, see it on the show. And I would just like to pause for a light applause. Um, Andrew, you had this question for you, Christian. Uh, that circular graph that we're seeing throughout the episode, that has to be the Insight supercomputer, right? Are, are you uh, somebody who are, can you shed some light on this sort of like big black circle we're seeing on a big white background that's talking about uh, like big like critical events that are happening around the world. Did that make more sense to you than maybe it made sense to some of the rest of us? Oh, I mean, clearly uh, to me, uh, I had to rewatch it because I, because it's uh, to make sure, but yeah, it, it, to me, it certainly is. That's Rehoboam uh, making like uh, making observations about the world and detecting, an- detecting anomalies. And, and, and Caleb is, is an anomaly, a small anomaly detected or something like that. You know, we'll yeah. Well, let's investigate that further. Yeah, I mean that's um, that's clearly like some kind of AI algorithm, and almost certainly Rehoboam that's looking at world events and taking in a whole bunch of data and saying this does not quite correlate with what I determined to be normal. This is a, this is an outlier. I'll uh, this is curious to me, um, and I think that. Um, this, to me, the central plot point of this of this season is going to be about what is what is Rehoboam up to. Right. And why? I mean, that's right. what that's 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 clearly it. So, I mean, and so that's that's true in both what they actually bring up in the dialogue, but also in the framing of like each of these scenes like, oh, now we're in Los Angeles. Let's check this out. So but even cl- even like when, when when you're cutting into like the quote unquote perspective of Rehoboam, right? Like when we're when we're in these scenes, the audio quality really suggests something dark. Uh, really suggests something off, really suggests something like godly. Uh, again, like these gods that we've built. Um, was that the connotation that you, that you took with it? Like it, for me, like I just can't not feel like there is a, a very sinister vibe every time we are cutting to one of these scenes. Oh, it's definitely ominous the way that they frame it. Um, now the, the, that doesn't necessarily mean that Rehoboam itself is, has some ominous intentions. And, and that's something I, I like to talk about with people who are scared about robots taking over. Um, is that 
a lot. Yeah, of, you get a lot of questions about the the robo apocalypse. I do. Uh, I do. Seems like we have other apocalypses to potentially fear than the robot one. At, at the current moment, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, everyone, please uh, social distance. Uh, social, social distance. Uh, wash your hands. Yeah, so wash your hands. And um, the and a lot of people are. Especially when I when I show off like my robot in the lab, I mean we we, we boot it up, it, it it stands up and it starts walking around a bit, and and uh, you know there, there's a kind of a mix of reactions when I have tours who watch this, and some people are like oh it's cool it's a robot that's walking around, and other people are kind of like you can see the the in, the reaction in the instant for some people, some people kind of just recoil and take a step back just because it's so odd to see a machine doing something that people do and they sort of instantly attribute intention to it when there is no intention behind our cassie robot literally there's a guy with or a guy or a girl with a uh, with a remote control saying go forward backward left and right that's the intention but it looks like it's behaving as though it's a it's an agent um and when it comes to these algorithms um, you can get, uh, all kinds of behaviors and, uh, that might seem like they have like this intention behind it, but really what they are doing is they're optimizing an objective, a goal that was given to it by the person who programmed it or the team that programmed it. Um, and that can create some really, uh, interesting and unexpected behaviors if you're not careful. So it's possible that Rehoboam literally was coded to unlock human potential. Yeah, and uh, like as um, was it Liam? I believe his name said uh, the the, uh, the, yep. the he's, he's he's not the founder of Insight, but he's the son. He's of the son. Found, he's the son of the founder. Son, yeah, son, son of the founder. And um, and he he said that look, that it's all about unlocking human potential, but but they're implying that someone's tinkering with it, right? That they, they're like, oh, it's doing weird things. Maybe someone's tinkering with it. Um, I would not be surprised if no one was tinkering with it, and it's just doing what we asked. But what we asked was ultimately horrible like maybe yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like it's doing yeah. its job and we didn't think so much about uh that aspect of it when we were creating the job right right exactly yeah. and, and this and this happens in big ways and small ways in robotics and algorithms uh so so we'll do algorithms um that are designed to make robots walk and we'll try them out in the computer simulation first to make sure we don't make the robot do something crazy and it'll break itself um and and sometimes if you're not careful about how you ask exactly what you want, um, it'll come up with crazy, uh, unexpected results. Like one time, uh, so we had to code the physics to this robot, uh, and we said, here's, you know, here's your robot physics. You're built out of, out of these parts. They weigh this much. You have these motors and this is what you can do with them. Uh, here's the ground. You can't go through the ground. That's not allowed. Physics says you can't go through the ground. Um, uh, and somehow the computer interpreted that and said, okay, I can't go through the ground, but I can start underground. That's okay. And the and the and the and the, and the robot was in the computer was basically using the ground like monkey bars to huh. climb underground. And like it just weirdly interpreted what I said because I didn't tell it you can't be underground. You just can't go through the ground. So it was like it came up with this wacky solution. Like, well, I never thought of that. I'm glad the robot in the real world didn't try that. I mean, obviously, it would not have worked. But again, it, but that was just one example of how sort of unintended consequences of the algorithm doing exactly what you asked of it. Language matters. Language matters. Yeah. <laughs> in this case, it's mathematical language. Like, it, like, yeah. it, like it's it, it, um, and, and it might not be as complicated as you think. You might it, it would just be one line of code where we almost literally type. You know, you know, robot greater than or equal to height of ground. You know, you must be above it. Boom. Right. That's it. Right. And so, yeah. 
Uh, Mike Bloom wanted you to just wax profound for an hour about the idea of Rehoboam. Um, you don't need to do that for a straight hour uninterrupted. But as, as far as what it is, what it seems to be doing, hmm. what Insight's agenda seems to be uh, with its, its you know, data-driven pursuits um, and the ways in which it seems to be like curating paths for us as a human species, um, what are your thoughts about, about some of this? I, I think that this really ties in pretty seamlessly with where we are in the age of social media which is only sharpening especially in you know the next however long we we're all really like extremely online if you thought we were extremely online before um what are your thoughts on Rehoboam and and what this seems to be suggesting uh from the perspectives of the creators so so uh the allegory of Rehoboam is is is, is pretty clear to me in terms of like um, in terms of modern day society i mean we're talking about you know big data you know you have uh, these social media media platforms that aggregate all our data and things we know what we want and this is kind of an extension of that and it's not like and it's not the first sci-fi idea um story to talk about this kind of technology i mean you know even like captain america 2 had this algorithm that was trying to predict who would be problems for for hydra and stuff like that um and uh um and uh, like the in the irobot movie the one with will smith from from probably a decade past right. um it, there was a big overseeing ai which basically we gave a lot of power to and it misinterpreted what we want um it gave it, it, but one thing it made kind of clear to me i i um when i was uh, from in terms of the technology in the West, in, in the West world world that they're building, um, that, that they're, that they're building in front of our eyes is that, um, I was looking at that physical computer. It's just like that big sphere in that building. And Which so seems I, like very accessible. It it's did. just in the lobby. It, it, I know it, DJ LaBelle it, Klein had issues with this. I, I actually, I, I, I did have a little issue with it, at, um, in terms of, you know, what if someone spilled a big gulp on it? You know, uh, <laughs> do you uh, think they still have big gulps in it, the future? They're, they're, I don't, I don't know what are they, they're, they're West gulps. They're probably yeah. Delos gulps. Yeah, Delos yeah. probably owns the, some the, the, things the, never change. Yeah. I think big gulps are here to stay. Yeah, I, I think so. You know, you know, we still use wheels, um, right. and we will still have big gulps. <laughs> um, the, um, it, 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 and, um, so there are a couple things. I had a lot of thoughts. One thing that made me realize about the world they're building is that in terms of technology they almost certainly in 20 by 20 whatever 2050 something they've cracked the problem of superconductivity at room temperatures josh have you ever heard of a superconductor I have, that but, but enlighten me sure. uh in in more scientific terms so so uh so um as people have heard, you know, there are certain materials that conduct electricity, you know, uh, so copper is, 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 is a big one. You know, it's in, it's in your, um, in, that's why you have copper wires. It's good at conducting electricity. Um, and, and copper wires, like all wires have resistance to them. Meaning that when you, when you, when you, when you flow electricity through it, uh, it, it resists the electricity a little bit and it burns away a little bit of the energy in the form of heat. So it heats up, right? Um, but then scientists discovered that if you take certain materials down to super low temperatures, we're talking near absolute, uh, absolute zero temperatures. Um, uh, not only does your resistance go down, your resistance actually becomes literally zero. Not close to zero, but actually zero. And that creates all kinds of weird, cool properties. So like if you take a, um, if you take a conducting material, like a disc of, of, of a superconductor, you know, you put it in liquid nitrogen, cool it down. It's in a superconducting state. You can take a permanent magnet and then, and put it right on top of the superconducting disc and it'll just levitate there. 
It would just wow. levitate. And, um, b- b- because, uh, that mag, that magnet is actually inducing an electric current in the disc, which in turn produces its own magnetic field, which pushes the ma- magnet back. So it just floats there, um, uh, which is super cool. And, um, and the reason why that would be important for something like Rehoboam is that you have this massive sphere of a computer. Right. And anyone who owns a computer has yes. put, put a laptop on your lap for long enough. It heats up. Right. Um, this and, thing would melt right through the ground. Yes. It, it would not follow uh, the robot protocols that you have laid out previously. It, it, precisely. Precisely. And so um, and, and, and there was no like and it wasn't in some kind of cryo cooled environment or anything. It's just sitting there in a room. By right. itself. And then it sort of clicked with me. It's like, oh, okay, it's not just Rehoboam, which is probably made out of superconducting materials. It's probably also the little Westworld robot brains, the pearls, I think they call them. Yeah. The little pearls. Um, they're probably superconductors too. Cause I realized, well, you know, there are these very powerful computers that are just inside the robot's head. They can't have that, you know, frying the robot brains from the inside. So this world is, is, is almost certainly cracked, cracked a room temperature superconductivity. So like, so for instance, uh, uh, nowadays we have what are called high temperature superconductors and by high temperature means they need to still be in like liquid nitrogen. That's what okay. high temperature means. Wow. So, uh, so room temperature is, is, is a really tough, uh, nut to crack. I happen to work next door to the, uh, um, applied superconductivity center at Florida State. So. Uh, and, and, and that would be, if any one of those guys, uh, guys or girls uh, solved that problem, they would win a Nobel Prize for sure. Um, um, yeah. Well, we had, we had a lot of questions about, uh, about future tech and, and how close we are to it. And this is from Brent the Showerman, which piece of futuristic technology that we saw in the premiere was the most realistic and which was your favorite? Mm. Um, does this qualify? Like, do you think that what we're seeing here with superconductor technology at room temperature with Rehoboam, um, Within thirty some odd years, is that is that possible? If I knew the answer to that question, I could make a good amount of money. You wouldn't you'd be I, big timing me. I, I, you wouldn't I, be returning my calls uh, for the Westworld. Podcast. You know, I would still return your calls, but you know, at the same time, I'd be like, you know, your people talk to my people. Yeah. We'll set up a time. <laughs> I uh, wouldn't it, have the direct it, line to you yeah, anymore. Yeah, uh, <laughs> the it, it, like, if you um, the, the, with any of these like major um, breakthroughs in science, it's very hard to know if and when they, they could come through. Um, I mean, we're uh, uh, for, for things like who would have thought like superconductors themselves would have been discovered at any point. Like when you found that, you're like, oh, wow, that changes, that changes a lot. Um, so it's very hard to predict when they'll come. But like, but I, th- that's one thing I noted about the, t- about the world. Like, oh, okay, this is a world with superconductor, with room temperature superconductors. Things make a lot of sense. Did that explain, uh, you know, the pearl you mentioned, yeah. the, the, the supercomputer we're seeing here with uh, yeah. Rehoboam? Right. Um, would that apply to something like, like the hovercrafts that we're seeing in the sky? Or is that, is that totally separate? Uh, that'd be a, li- that's, it's similar ish. So like superconducting would be great for anything having to do with like computation and to some degree with like levitating some stuff with magnets. That would be useful. Um, but still whenever you want to like move something around in the world, that, that requires energy. Right. And that, and that, and um, anything having to do with energy, then you're, then you're talking laws of thermodynamics. And thermodynamics is the study of energy. So like, so if you want to, if you wanted to take that hovercraft and then thrust it up into the sky, that's still going to take, uh, effort from a battery pack or whatever's on board, right? So that's, um, that's, so that, that would still be a hard, uh, a hard constraint of physics. Seemed pretty clean though, yes. uh, compared to some of the, the vehicles we're using today. And I, I know from, from speaking with, with Nolan and Joy, um, that, uh, you know, the self-driving cars and everything that we're seeing mm-hmm. in the premiere, uh, their vision of the future is this is one that they think is absolutely going to happen, mm-hmm. uh, that we're absolutely going to, to move into, uh, a world 
where uh where uh you know automated traffic is a completely changed game um uh i believe some this isn't the exact quote but this is like the spirit of the quote that nolan said like the way that like we look back at people in the 1800s that everybody owned a horse and carriage uh, is antiquated is the way that uh, people down the line are going to look back at how all of us had cars and all of us just like polluted our streets with with uh, with with automobile traffic. Uh, this one he thinks is is accurate. So it, it feels to me like uh, the show has something of a vision of a cleaner energy future. Yeah, and, and that's not a crazy vision of the future for sure. I mean, like we 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 all are aware of these uh, self driving car companies. Uh, you know, they're trying to put their cars on the road. Um, I, I so it's not crazy to think that they could that they would have cracked that problem by 2050. Um, but uh, I'm actually one of the people who thinks that it's going to be a much harder problem than a lot of people expect to put these things on the road. Um, in, in in reality, just because the safety concerns are are so paramount. Um, you know, a lot of the technology that we, the, a, a lot of the technology we have in terms of algorithms are working in relatively low stakes environments. Uh, for instance, the autocorrect on your phone. Um, you know, you, it's probably, it's probably helpful a lot of the time. Occasionally gives you a really weird thing. Very strange thing. Very strange thing. But, you know, the the worst case scenario is that it gives you a very strange suggestion for a word and you're annoyed and you have to delete it and type it out yourself. Uh, you know, if someone, if someone's life was on the line based upon autocorrect, um, you know, we'd be a little more scared. Maybe, maybe like your social life is on the line. I, if I like guess. you say the wrong thing, if you really did mean to say duck. You know, and then it, it, it translates the wrong way. Yeah. You know, that's, that's really good. That's true. That's true. Yeah. At, at the same time, we also can just say, Oh, dang, you autocorrect uh, yeah. and recover from it. But you're right. But like, but like, you know, if we had lives on the line from something that was only as reliable as autocorrect, I think we, we, we would have a different view of the readiness of the technology. And that's, um, and not that that's a literal parallel to what's, what happened with autonomous cars, but it just shows that the companies who are, who are trying to develop them have to, uh, who have to and are taking safety very seriously. And, and, and that could be a very long time before we get that, um, really in that implementation. Could be decades, but this again, this is 2050. Eight twenty fifty eight, yeah. So that's that's not that's that's not crazy. Totally a, a viable view of the future, um, for sure. Um, and and what do you think of the like the intent behind Rehoboam? Uh, this idea of collecting our data, curating our choices as a result. Does this feel like uh, somebody's got this ambition for sure? Oh, sure. I mean, like, I, I mean, I, I mean, I would be lying if I said I didn't have an ambition like that at some point. Yeah. I mean, like, I think, I, I think that, um, and you could totally see someone with the with the means and the particular skill expertise to actually try to implement it. So, on a couple things about Rehoboam in terms of how. I look at it in terms of realism. The, the idea of collecting a whole bunch of data and processing it and trying to predict what's, uh, what people will do and or uh, what, to, what to do in response, yeah, that's totally a, um, a reasonable ambition and within theoretically what a, a technology could do uh, with, with, with existing artificial intelligence and machine learning. Um, I mean, we, all those different components, you know, several of them we actually do today, right? I mean, anytime you go on Amazon – and you want to buy something, it'll say, you know, people like you also wanted to buy this, right. right? That's an algorithm that's putting together a whole bunch of data, say, you know, trying to correlate that purchase you made to what other purchases you might want to make, right? So that, that part is, is real. Um, we also have, um, you know, uh, we also have things like, uh, like DeepMind, the company DeepMind, who makes things like the, uh, 
um, the AlphaGo, the Go playing algorithms, right? That play uh, Go or StarCraft. So you have computers that will generate strategies in, in a more limited context, but that's but that's not. I mean, uh, that's not a crazy thing. I mean, we use that sometimes in legged robotics too. Um, so the thing that would be tricky is that one, you're taking in data from all over the world, and you're not only um, trying to analyze need and try to make predictions about risk and things that are going to happen. Um, you're also directing, presumably, what people should do as a consequence and um, and driving all of humanity into some new regime, right? They had to basically transform their society, it seems, to combat the climate crisis is what they applied, right? Right. That, that's what Liam said. Basically, Liam is is being publicly credited for you know for for solving the world's climate crisis via strategy. So, in order to do that, presumably they um, the algorithm said, "Oh, we should invest in this industry. We should make people do this or have this kind of social uh, reconstruction here." And you're driving humanity into a completely different state for which you don't really have data. So you would have to be able to make really good predictions about how society would behave in a completely different state without having prior data to know what would happen. And that would be like the biggest, to me, sticking point of a technology like Rehoboam, where it's literally trying to reshape society based upon the data it has seen. Yeah. Um, you called a really good shot, I think, with the wafers. Uh, and I, I would love to know if you've got a prediction for how this is going to factor into the end game of the season. Dolores is very fixated on Insight and Rehoboam. What she want with it? What is she going to do with it? Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of. I don't. I, I, it's hard for me to read like Dolores beyond the obvious. Uh, that she wants that to take her, over. Her, her fast dress changing was just absolutely fabulous. <laughs> the obvious stuff, right? And um, just like surface level stuff. Did you just enjoy the premiere like as a thrill ride? Did you think that they did a, an effective job on that? You on know, that front? overall, I did. Um, I, I I think that, um, and, and we can talk about this uh, maybe in more detail. But like, so I, I went back and watched the premiere of season one as well, and. I still think to me that stands out as one of my favorite s sequences in the whole show when they're introducing Dolores and Teddy as these automatons in their loop um, in the Westworld. And it was re it was really um, engaging. I got exactly what the world was about from that. Yeah. Um, and, and the this premiere in content in, in contrast, it, it, it's basically a horror movie where uh, where Dolores is the, mo the movie monster who kills uh, – I don't know what that guy's name, the German man who uh, – uh, Freddy, I believe Freddy, is his name. Uh, the actor is Thomas Kreshman. If you're a Marvel guy, he was Baron Von Strucker in Avengers Age of Ultron. I thought I recognized yes. him. Yeah, and yes. I, I, I got it. And he was in the, 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 the – in the um, – in the – in the post credit sequence of the first Avengers, yes, if I remember, yes. or something like that. Once again, getting too close to to the robots. Yeah. It seems to backfire for this right, guy. Right, right. So, yeah, there, there were lots of parallels. Also, um, for some reason, Jesse Pinkman, again, is in a world where he can't pay his medical bills and he has to go <laughs> right. to a life of crime. Right. So, uh, so, um, the, so, so what, what sorry, what I was, I was, I was talking about, uh, the, so the, it sort of starts off with like the horror sequence of like Dolores comes in, murders that guy, gets his right. money, and she kind of monologues like her, you know, her part of her plan, right? So I'm like, is, is this the Wyatt character? By the way, is this the Wyatt personality? So in I her? think she she had said in season two that 
you know, she has the farm girl. She yeah. has the farmer's daughter uh, in Dolores. Okay. She has Wyatt, who's the killer. And yeah. now she's like incorporating those identities to to chart yeah. her own path forward. So, so this is the long winded way that, you know, so I enjoyed it overall. Uh, one thing I, 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 I'm, I'm curious to learn more about, like, what makes these characters tick, even though I theoretically should know that. Um, that's what I'm going to be looking more for, forward to more in the season. Like, I know that Dolores wants to dominate the world. I know that she, uh, wants to, uh, and, and she's, she's a badass. She can kill people and she, she is, she is cool taste in dresses. Um, I, and she said, one thing I liked that she said is that she said to, uh, Victor Van Stratton or whatever his name was, uh, that we all have our weaknesses. Yeah. And I'm curious what hers is. Uh, did, uh, did, did you get her? I, and I don't know if it's something that we've already seen a lot of. I know that Teddy was scared of her last season. Yeah, I think that her weakness is she's a little uh, black and white in her thinking, right? Yeah. Like she's like, uh, it's it's us versus them. Right. It's, and I think that introducing the Caleb character into the mix is meant to challenge that. That's it's meant it. to challenge her notion of actually humanity may have potential. And I think, uh, actually, yeah. humans aren't all just the people who came to Westworld. That that will be great. That's the stuff I'll be looking forward to more in the season. Because like in that opening sequence of Westworld, like I, I I feel like I got that. Here's Teddy. Here is Dolores. You know, there are these there are these um, naive creatures that taught they're they're caught in this loop, but they're going to slowly realize that you know that that they're basically just being uh, objectified. They're, they're they they have no that they're being they're being they're being abused and like and i felt for them in that moment i think that i'll start to feel more as i feel more for the characters going on i think i'll be even more engaged i i, I think that no moment made me laugh more though at the end and, and they laugh in a good way i feel when they unveil unveiled uh the the nazi occupation of uh <laughs> at the end i started cackling i'm like okay that was the most fun i felt i had during the episode uh if it's, people do not open the ark of the covenant and get their faces melted <laughs> off in uh a future episode of Westworld, then I think that they really didn't do their jobs. Yeah, so so over, so I I enjoyed it overall. I, I I think it was a lot of setup that they had to do, which makes sense because they have a whole new world to do. I'm I, I look forward to the emotional payoffs that come. That's what I'm going to be waiting for. Right. Uh, so so back back on that point of what you think Dolores might want out of Insight, like given what Rehoboam was was created to do, how does that intersect with Dolores's kind of idea of dominion over mankind how could this be useful in that pursuit and can you see a way of like connecting that to the wafers i mean i i think that the 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 obvious way which is that this that rehoboam is designed to give people their path a path for everyone right and she's going to hijack that path to be about um um, being glory onto the robots um and that that would be the obvious way to go and that she could redirect all of humanity toward you know, glorifying the robots and or just self-extincting. Um, and that, and that, uh, that self-extinction would not be crazy either. I mean, they, in a way, they kind of sort of set that up with, uh, what, who, again, the, the German man, uh, Friedrich or, I, or I love all the Steve. different names they've given him. Va- uh, Victor von Stucker, you <laughs> gave him. Yeah. Uh, let's go with Friedrich von Cedric right now. Cedric, yeah, Steve. Um, the, <laughs> yeah, uh, let's just call him Steve. Steve. So, uh, yeah, so like she didn't kill Steve. She just let Steve come after her. <laughs> Steve had his nature, just like humans have right. their nature, and and extincted himself. Right. So um, that and, could and be in her. a way that was like a uh, you know uh, 
chicken's not flying the coop, but chicken's coming home to roost, right? Like in, right. in a way where like they they reference uh, the the it was an accident that happened uh, in a, in a similar manner, uh, and this is a man self extincting himself in a way that uh, echoes his past. Uh, so very thematically, you can see how that's uh, that's that's uh, etching onto this idea of we're doomed to repeat our mistakes, right? So yeah, I mean like that. So that's an obvious way. I mean, and also there's like there's even more just general thing is that she she needs weapons in the, in the war against the humans and. Uh, she, she got her money. She got it from Steve, and she also got. Uh, and now, now she gets the ability to predict even better what all the humans are going to do in the world. Right? I mean, that's that's a really obvious way, but that's too general. I think it's going to be something very specific, and I think it's going to have to do with hijacking the wafers to make. And, and it could even be that part of the brain that she set up the the, the nucleus accumbens, right? Uh, you know, so to activate that in that in, um, in that character. So. Uh- you you talked about wanting to see like the emotional payoffs this season, uh, and this is from Just Joe. Uh, have you ever noticed anyone having an emotional attachment to robots you've worked on? Mm. If not, I'm wondering what stage would that happen, and would it be based purely on appearance or behavior or both? So that's a great question. I get that uh, in tours, and, and people are surprised by the answer. I mean, like like I I don't have an emotional attachment to the robots, and I most of the people that work really closely with them, I notice don't either. You know, I, I don't call Cassie a she, I call it an it. Um, and when it's walking around and it behaves in a weird way, I, I, I more think of it as a manifestation of the programming that either me or my colleagues put into it and we're trying to sort of decipher it. It's more like a mechanism written in code to me than a living creature that's with a, with a behavior and an intent. Now, people who come in and see Cassie for the first time start like I mentioned, reference our robot. There are many ro- other robots out there. Like when they see, like if you see some of those cool Boston Dynamics videos online, those uh, of the robots that jump around and do parkour, they they see something that has an intent and think of it as like a creature almost. And I think that the closer you get to work on these things, and the more you understand what's under the hood. The more you, the more it's it's not something that's an autonomous an automaton, and something that uh, uh, is more something that can be dissected and understood. So as um, and that can be taken in really cruel ways in the show, like we saw all the all, all the chop shop people. What are they called? Um, in oh the, yeah, in the, park. The, the butchers. The butchers. Yeah, they yeah. call them right. So like the like they call them the butchers, and like you know they seem to have no like revulsion or compulsion, even though they're kind of pulling apart human innards in a way. You know, probably because they they see what it's made of, like it, it's it's not human to them, right? Um. So yeah. So so overall, I mean, so what? But what would it take to have um an emotional connection to it? I think that like if and if like Cassie suddenly stood up, was like Christian. Oh my yeah, god, I haven't yeah, seen you. You've been self isolating. You've been socially distancing from me. How's yeah, it been going? I know yeah, it's been tough. Do you have I any have- macarons? <laughs> I would have a reaction to that for sure, yeah. and, and it would certainly develop into like uh, something's going on here. And I, and I have to just uh, have a baseball bat, smash, yeah. smash, smash, <laughs> murder, yeah. death, kill. And, and for the audience member, and just, and just for the audience members who who uh, um, are curious, like it, such a, such a thing is not a realistic. Uh, um, there's uh, no uh, vocal uh, box. Uh, no vocal box. Even okay. just in terms of like the coding itself, just like I, I, I try to the way I try to explain the, the coding to people is because it's all like this weird black box to you if you have never seen inside of what likes going on in the code it could be the most complicated thing on the on the planet it's actually probably a lot simpler than you might expect and um and what i, what I try to tell people is that you could 
take the algorithm that we use to run something like our robots and you could make the same algorithm work in Excel, like a spreadsheet. It's yeah. just a bunch of kind of like numerical equations all in a row. And so, um, so the software that does your taxes is probably no theoretically less complicated or likely to come self-aware than the robots you're going to see on YouTube or things like that. Just, to, just in case people, because some people do get scared about that sort of thing. Uh, but yeah, definitely no vocal box either, Josh. Um, but, but there is a speaker, there is a speaker on there. And, um, and, and the fun things we like to think about are like, uh, are giving it fun phrases when it comes online. Uh, you know, uh, like we could do the, the, I'm afraid, I'm afraid I can't do that. Uh, like, like, they, like they did in the beginning yeah. of this episode, David. by the way. Yeah. If, I mean, if Cassie started calling you a David, maybe you would be pretty triggered. Yeah. Like, but you know, it's like, it would just call the whole lab a whole bunch of Davids. A whole, uh, bunch, of a, David. a, a whole bunch of Davids. Yeah. So, Can you uh, program Cassie to speak with the voice of Natalie Cole? Cause that would be great. That would be awesome. And I think that, <laughs> that I, that's a good idea. I'm going to yeah. file that away. Yeah, just moment. jot that down if you want to take a quick second. Uh, this, this leads nicely into, into something from Hard Rock Hope, uh, who says, uh, Christian, can you talk about how much of this kind of tech already exists? Mm-hmm. Like, do Alexa devices, which I'm scared of, all talk to each other through a mesh network? Um, so just while we're on the subject mm-hmm. of, of speakers and, and things like that, uh, and, and how, uh, last season introduced this idea of Maeve being able to like manipulate the mesh network but even beyond that like just this mesh network existing where wirelessly all these ai devices are communicating with one another um is that pretty legit or is it dramatized for westworld in a significant way i I mean honestly it it doesn't look to me any different uh than what we have right now it doesn't look like anything to me josh the uh the the it, it like you know, the guy is talking to his computer, to, to the speaker and, you know, it can turn up the, the, I guess the, the flames on, uh, on the outside of his house. I mean, that's no different than turning up the lights in your house, right? Um, like it, it to me, it, it basically, I didn't see anything really much different than contemporary technology there. Okay. The only, the only difference, uh, was that, uh, like it had environmental controls to the point where it created like, carbon monoxide or no i think that was the fire that was the fire right that was carbon creating carbon monoxide right, or something right. in the house um but yeah that's a uh, so that's that's quite realistic um the fact that it says i'm afraid i can't do that it was a little little on the nose for me for a sci-fi reference but you know yeah. I, I can tolerate it for sure yeah uh, um, 2058 uh not in space yeah, exactly exactly and um uh, and uh so yeah i can't think of anything that was there anything that stuck out to you as particularly scary or interesting all that it did it. i mean all, all of it all <laughs> of it like uh, the really the big one was uh like these uh these sort of like uh orgy parties that they're going to like these like strange underground art parties that they're going to like as a very socially anxious person uh, I, i'm i'm sad that these still exist uh, what, in, wait, in wait, what, 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 I missed this. That's like what, the what, place where Caleb is going. He's got the Rico assignment. It's like this one guy is tripping oh, balls. You gotta, you gotta come by and, uh, yeah. And, and I, I, I was, th- I was thinking about Steve's house at the beginning of the episode, for instance, like the Nest sort of technology. That's all quite real. I mean, and I mean, basically that, uh, that, uh, that, that app, you know, that, you know, that's no different than, you know, uh, like Tackle or whatever. I, I don't know. I use Tackle, but like, no, but you, small you mentioned, you mentioned Nest. I mean, my, my apartment uh, is loaded up with it, right? You know, we've got that for our smoke detector. We have that controlling our our temperature, so Dolores could come here and make this apartment very hot, very very quickly. Yeah, I mean, and, and that speaks to like the need for like emergency overrides that are not just completely like you know 
you know, please let me out. No, I can't do that. That you'd have some kind of mechanical fail safe, right? Um, that's, uh, that's, that's important. I mean, you don't need to even think about like a malevolent force to trying to, you know, kill you in your home. I mean, I mean, software, we try to make it as reliable as possible, but you know, we don't want to be completely reliant upon software always working to make sure that we're safe. I mean, a fire hazard alone would, would, would be a good reason to have a way to override the doors mechanically have a physical latch that you could undo and get out of the house. Um, this is from Winston. Uh, how has your understanding of hosts and robots strength evolved over the series? In other series like Blade Runner or Terminator, robots are able to bend metal frames, lift multi-ton objects, etc. Generally, we have not seen many of the hosts doing this, but could other robots like Caleb's partner George do these things, given that he is designed for industrial applications? Does their strength depend more on their power source or the composition of the materials that they are made from? So there's a, that's a great question. Um, and so starting with the hosts, what's interesting about the hosts is that they're very clearly some kind of biological material. And in, in, in what seems indistinguishable from human bio, biological materials like skin and muscle, which uh, is interesting to me because they seem super strong. So do they have the same basically muscle materials that they do, that that we would have in our bodies? Maybe they just are are more aggressive about activating them. We you know we have muscle activation that we have, or maybe they're super fit. Someone's got to uh, teach me that. Yeah, yeah, that that'll be useful. I wish I could yeah. just you know just sort of activate them like that. Um, so don't I, I'm, don't be modest. You have uh, your, your triceps are ripped, if I recall. Uh, I I was working out a lot at the time. I wish there's unreleased footage of Christian and I uh, arm wrestling out on uh, Survivor uh, David versus Goliath. And uh, spoiler alert, I handily lost. (laughs) You were like you kept like junking me like with with zero effort whatsoever. You know, because you'd just been doing like tricep dips like for like (laughs) 17 years in a row. I I I I think that the um about five months before I went on the show is when I think I got the first phone call that they were interested. I think from that day onward, I was trying to work out just to just so I get and in then shape. like the workout montage is just you doing tricep dips. Just like every single scene is just cutting to you doing tricep dips. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that the Villigan gang would do a much better job cutting together <laughs> that montage than I would. The uh, but push the- it to the limit as you're just doing tricep dips over and over again. <laughs> Exactly. So your, your triceps are sick. Well, I, I don't talk to that. me about muscle activation. But yeah, muscle activation. So like yeah. the, uh, but the, but so I, so I'm curious, like, do they have different muscle materials that allow them to be stronger? Like, like how strong are they? I mean, I think that if I had to guess, they are basically normal people that, that they're able to activate their muscles in a more, in, in a more efficient and optimized fashion to, to basically be uh, like extremely like they go from uh, extremely fit athletes so like they go from being normal people then all of a sudden it's like they're ninjas you know it feels like which is not crazy um you know in terms of being stronger the the, the core of the question is like what makes uh, something strong and the first part is the actuators and act by actuator there are a couple things uh like in humans our actuators are our muscles they're the things that do action on the world you can push on things they produce force we can lift things which is doing work 
Um, in robots, you often have electric motors or what it appears with uh, George and or whatever model robot. I believe he's a Delos built robot. I believe there's a little Delos logo on him. Yeah. Um, is it's probably hydraulic. So I think uh, if you look at one of those like construction material, like, like those cats that will like you know that that will construction uh, uh, vehicles that will like pick up dirt and like a backhoe. That's where I'm going for a backhoe. Right. right. Um, that's going to be more of a uh, that, that's going to be a hydraulic device, and hydraulics are extremely powerful. You can get a lot of force out of them, uh, but they take comparatively a good bit of energy to use. They take a good bit of battery power. Um, and that's something that's, uh, I think another thing that's underappreciated about robots is that they are energy hogs that take a lot of power to run. So if you have something like George has to handle, I guess, whole, a whole day on a construction site and is doing lots of heavy lifting and stuff like that, clearly they figured out some way to make hydraulics either pretty efficient or a very, very, very large energy source. They're very good at like maybe making awesome batteries would be my guess in order to be able to make George function. Yeah. So George well, he's working pro- like a nine to five, then yeah. he's, he's probably charging up for the rest of that time. My guess would be that that would be, that would be yeah. the case. So what makes it strong? It's the actuators and George is probably hydraulically actuated. The hosts are muscle actuated. Um, and there are strengths and weaknesses to different kinds of actuation. You can get tons of force and power out of an, uh, uh, out of it, uh, out of a hydraulic actuator. Um, Electric motors can be pretty efficient and in, in certain ways. They can spin up really fast. Uh, they have their own advantages. Um, and humans are just very – we are very efficient compared to robots. And the, the stat I, I like to put – I point out is that our walking robots that walk around are bipeds, like the ones that are human-sized and walk on two legs. Uh, the most efficient one of those um, takes five times the energy it takes a person to walk. Five times. Wow. So, like, if a, so, if a, if a human was running on gasoline and they were um, a, a hundred mile a gallon car, a robot will be a twenty mile per gallon car. That's the that's the gap in efficiency. So, um, so one big thing that that Westworld somehow sweeps under the rug are the energy sources of these robots, and even the hosts. Um, if the hosts are muscle powered, Josh, um, we are muscle powered. What what powers your muscles? Uh, the, the, the pizza, the pizza, exactly. The pizza powers those muscles. So does that mean the Westworld robots have to eat? I know. And then what, what, what do they do with the food? I, I, you know, I, I hesitate to guess, um, what, what, what happens to the food there afterwards, but like it, but it's seemingly implied that they don't well, I need would, to I, would, I would guess that they probably, uh, I don't know if they, yeah, because to, to like mimic the reality, right. Of mm-hmm. when, when guests come to Westworld, you see them like pounding shots of of stuff, you know, so it would make sense that like if you wanted to go off of like if like you went to Westworld and your quest was to just like have a nice date, you mm-hmm. know, with uh, with with a with a robot, uh, you take them out for a steak dinner. It'd be awkward if the robot wasn't eating the steak dinner. Uh, I, so it I'm strikes sure me can... that they're probably just doing that stuff mm-hmm. anyway. That's true. I, I just I just haven't seen a scene where like we show how. Like they power themselves, right? Yeah. Like they don't never see them recharging on a charging port or anything like that. Um, but same time, we don't see them on their own eating a steak dinner uh, on their own to keep themselves powered up, right? right. Um, and so, and, and that would be something that, frankly, would w- they could world build around that. Uh, that would not be that would not be crazy. There's like um, 
where they where someone visiting the park like is getting a tour, maybe it's a VIP, and they're like, the robots eat. It's like, well, they need their power like anything else. So that's where our food, that's where our power comes from. Right. Um, but it's it's more. I think that it, it, it's more like I think assume that they just get their power. And they don't need to worry about where it comes from. Um, like maybe there's, but the, but as far as we can tell, the only difference biologically between those hosts and a person is that the hosts have a little pearl in their brain, right? Um, and so, so is there a power source in there? Is what we're wondering. Yeah, so I'm wondering if there's a little battery. Like that that'd be crazy if you have like both a like awesome, super awesome computer. And a battery in that tiny space, right? Um, presumably, could be recharged by food. But that's one thing that that uh, a lot not not just Westworld, most sci-fi having to do with robots doesn't really think about. Like, um, how are they powering these things? Is, well, probably because there isn't really like an elegant, glamorous solution to that question, right? That right. you can easily dramatize, right? Uh, and, right. And you can just, and, and I mean, and but you don't even need to like dramatize it. It could just be a throwaway line. It's like, oh yeah, you know, we have you know, you know, the battery will last blank long, you know, right. Boom. So now that now that's established in the world, and that and sometimes and some better sci-fi, in my opinion, will use those details as interesting plot devices, right? Um, it, you know, Dolores has to get from here to there, but look, she's only got it's a, she got a ticking clock, sure. which is sure. which your battery running out. Um, in this case, uh, so that's so that's that's some one thing I like to think about in terms of like their actuation potential, like what how are they powering themselves? I'm guessing they eat. All right, Christian. Uh, I think people are going to be very thrilled with uh, the, the 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 the. You've grounded our our grounded future in groundedness uh, with with all of your your points this week. Uh, and anything else that you would like to ground in reality for us from Westworld? So, so I I I have to reiterate how much overall when I'm thinking about what I see on the show. I'm mostly like really impressed. Like like I, I'm they they clearly put their homework into making. A lot of these things feel grounded. And there's one thing actually, like I was, I went back and rewatched some of season two. Um, and I was reminding some, I was reminded by some other stuff that was like shockingly kind of real to me, even like sort of the speculative sci-fi. Um, so at the end of the last season, Josh, uh, I remember well, Dolores was in some kind of simulation world, right. if I remember. Yes, and, she was re- and she was reading the books of all the people, right? The, 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 uh, that they decoded the hosts. I'm oh, sorry, decoded the guests, right? Right. right. They're decoding the guests. And, and the big takeaway that I believe that, that the Delos son or whatever was talking about, the, the, you know, that he was saying in, when he's monologuing about what they were doing is that is they found out that, you know, people, you know, you know, humans are, are actually quite simple or whatever, you know, like we thought there were, that we weren't, you know, well, we, we weren't complicated enough, but in fact, we were, we were, we thought they were, we, we thought they are more complicated than they actually right. are. And the key was that simplicity. And they're like 10,000 lines of code, you know, the simple algorithm that we, that we were. Now, that's of course all speculative fiction because, you know, mapping the human brain and mapping, uh, uh, behavior and how people behave. I mean, it's a really complicated ongoing science. But it actually had interesting parallels to other things that have happened in the past. So, um, you might remember something called the Human Genome Project. Of course. Which, yeah, you saw something from the 90s that I think wrapped up in the early 2000s, you know, mapping out all the human genes. Um, because they wanted to see how complex the human genome was. And we just kind of assumed that. Uh, you know, that, you know, we're really complicated. Look at all the complicated stuff in our bodies, all the ways that we work. You know, it's probably we have like, hundreds of thousands of genes that that encode all of these things. And we went and mapped the human genome and it turns out it's about 20,000, 20,000, a lot simpler than we assumed. 
Um, because my understanding of it, again, I'm not an expert in, I'm not, I'm not a genetics expert by any means. This is my understanding of it. Um, what we should get my dad on the, on the podcast, uh, the, the great geneticist, Michael Wiggler. Uh, but I feel like he would say something very, uh, insensitive about the show. And I, I don't want to put, I I can't get my father canceled, uh, in the year 2020. All right. Uh, But if you ever have questions for him, just let me know. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll throw out some genetics feedback, uh, to, to Dr. Wiggler and get that on the podcast. Awesome. I'd love to hear his take on me on the history of this because we'll do a conference uh, call. We'll do a conference call. Yeah, that's offline, good. offline. Yeah. But the idea would be that um uh it, that that we kind of had a fundamentally like wrong view on some level uh, of what DNA did. We thought that the DNA isn't like a big uh blueprint of how we're put together as people and it just builds the blueprint. It's really kind of a series of instructions, uh a simple algorithm, if you will. For how to for how to build proteins, yeah. Um, so, uh, and again, I'm not an expert, so I apologize to any, to any microbiologists Don't in worry, the my, audience. My dad's not uh, listening. Okay, no, zero, right. chance. zero so, chance. So, so, but but the point was is that we kind of mis we 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 had to correct our understanding that like DNA was kind of like an algorithm, just building stuff and not laying out our entire bodies. So, like, it ended up being much simpler than we expected. So, the idea of people. In our, in our very complicated brains, you know, we have these super complicated brains, or really, we can be boiled down to eh, about 10,000 lines of code. That makes I thought sense. That was, that was a very interesting, <laughs> yeah, and, and, and it's a very interesting sort of provocative, uh, way, uh, um, to, to, to build a little bit of speculative science fiction. So I love that. That's I one think, of my, yeah. I think for the perspectives of, of the perspective of the show would posit that as a, like, an, a, a deliberately cynical view of humankind that like maps onto the deliberately cynical view of humankind seen throughout the rest of the show. Um, but, but to me, the existence of the Aaron Paul characters this season suggests a heel turn in that argument, uh, that they are, they're going to slowly try to build the case for, uh, maybe, maybe humans as a, a species are, are dangerous and overall bad. Um, but there are individuals who are, who are, uh, you know, capable of of goodness there are individuals who have their strengths who are who are uh filled with value um how do you how do you map that idea of them like arguing for like the simplicity of the human mind even uh that it that it is just a few simple lines of code onto what seems to be a turning of the argument that um that's not necessarily the worst thing in the world that, that that's exactly how i would interpret what you're what you're building up to there which is even if we could be simplified down to 10,000 lines of code. It, like something even even if the mechanisms by which we operate are simple, that doesn't make our world any less complex and interesting when we're interacting with each other. That doesn't make us any less valuable just because we're simpler. And if that's the way the show is building, I think that I, I would actually kind of agree with that message in that 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 the world can be Simple. Our existence can be comparatively simple, but no less fulfilling or interesting or, or meritorious or beautiful. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Christian, anything else from Westworld you want to talk about before I uh, uh, make you talk to me about Survivor for 10 minutes? <laughs> uh, no, uh, uh, unless uh, – um, You're Jeff Probst and I'm Christian Hubicki <laughs> and uh, I am going to be – I'm not coming down from the perch until you talk to me about Survivor for as long as I want you to. So, so uh, I, I just have to leave the thread dangling too much. Uh, I, I did – I, I did d- dangle a little bit uh, uh, my medieval music history. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, wait, let's unpin that. <laughs> okay, so 
so um, yeah, and, and so like I, I um, so is there going to be a medieval music history wand off coming anytime soon? You know, I'm sure it'd be extremely popular. That's yeah. a winner for sure. Yeah. The uh, and uh, I mean, like it just it came back to me because uh, in college I I minored in music. And so one of the courses I had to take was well, I decided to take was medieval music history. What's so your like, what's your instrument? Uh, clarinet. Okay, clarinet cool. player. Yeah. So so I so I, oh, I know um, yeah. yeah so and um, and uh, and and I took medieval music history. That's like Gregorian chants. And I remember one thing I would have to do would I, I, is you have listening exams in, in music history classes. And anyone who's taken music history classes probably taken a, a listening exam where where you are given a repertoire to listen to, take home like on a CD at the time. They weren't <laughs> it was on a CD. Right. And um and you'd go into the class that day and you would listen to a small clip of it uh, of, of of the music um and you have to identify it so i so when i um was looking up the the parse domine and it came up that oh it's a you know it, it's it's basically a chant it's kind of gregorian chant medieval music i was like oh okay i'll look up the lyrics for it and it's like two lines long yeah. it's like uh um, oh, oh God, spare us, you know, please don't be too mad at us. It's like the two lines of the, uh, of the thing. And it's an entire four, five minute song. Fits right? very neatly with what you're thematically, uh, interested in with the, what, what the show might be thematically interested right. in. Right. Oh, yeah. actually, that's a good point. I didn't yeah. think about that. So like, I was in people like, really, how would two words, uh, two, two, two sentences be a five minute song? I was like, well. In medieval music history, you learn that that's actually, that's quite verbose. I remember there were, for the music listen, for the, for the listening exam, there were two, there were lots of songs, two of which sounded very similar. One was, uh, pronouncing just one word. It was Alleluia for six minutes. Mm-hmm. And the other one was a very similar word. And the way those songs go is it, Alleluia. You know, the first like sit five and a half minutes is ah. And then Leluya is the last thirty seconds, <laughs> and and it's, and it's going all, all over all over the place, right? And there was so what so one song had ah, and the only difference between that and the other song is the other the other song pronounced the syllable ah, and I I remember I spent a whole night listening to those two songs over and over and over again, trying to distinguish between the ah and the ah for those six minutes and to the point where I, I knew every single little inflection of the song. So I identified on the exam. So I'm like, not, so, so seeing all like uh, Gregorian chant back in my life, I was like, Oh, well that takes me back. It takes me back to my days where I had to memorize these, these old Gregorian chants. So, so that, that was fun. The Gregorian chant wand off writes itself then because it's just six minutes of wah, wah. and then 30 <laughs> seconds of nda shirk. Precisely. Yeah. That's exactly it. That would you would you would fit right in into the medieval time period. Exactly. So that's that that was my that's my uh, my my, my <laughs> interaction with medieval music. That's great. All right. Uh, that's going to do it on Westworld uh, talk here. So if that's all you're here for, we're going to wrap it right there. Uh, we'll be back on Monday morning with the recap between myself and Joe Garfine talking about episode two. Christian, any predictions for episode two? Anything that you're excited about? Uh, seeing more of. Uh, the world that is, I, I can only say it is not called Nazi world, uh, but uh, I'm, sh- I'm sure you're interested in finding out more. I, I hear it's called War World. That's the rumor. War, war, the rumor's World War. Okay, it's a rumor. That's, I, a, that's I was, the word on the street. Yeah, okay. I, I normally have a pretty good track record of predicting them. I predict. I remember Emily and I predicted Shogun World and The Raj. And I was very proud of The Raj that we yeah, got The Raj, good, right? Wow, so, good pick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so where at first we were, I was trying to think like, 
Rhine world, but the problem is, it's not, so I'm most curious to find out what the name of that world is because I was like, because I couldn't find a good one because it was like, well, Rhine world, but it's not in Germany, it's in France probably, and like, and Emily's like, it's sort of Vichy France, so Vichy world, but Vichy world's very strange sounding, so I don't know what it's going to be. Okay, all right, well, we'll find out soon enough. Joe and I will be talking about Westworld uh, season three, episode two, coming your way Monday morning. Uh, Christian, thank you for all of the the great insight into insight and everything beyond that. Uh, and now, if you all want to bail, feel free to bail. Otherwise, uh, I, I assume winners at war rooting for your boy Nick. Of course, of course, got to root for him. Uh, so, so I, I hope hopefully he he makes uh, it through that driving tribe you have, swap. You have to root for Nick, but uh, oh, yeah. heading into Winners at War, who are some of the legends that you were you were super pumped oh. to see back on the show? Honestly, I, I I love to see Yule. I love to see Yule back. He's you know I he'd be a person that I would love to just sit down and talk to over coffee or something like that to get his take on things. Um, and he and he's kind of the silent assassin. So uh, we'll, we'll that's that's how I remember him. So I, I hope hopefully we can see that part of Yule like throughout the whole rest of the season. Um, and I and I, I can't not love how fun Tyson is. He yeah. seems like a fun, fun guy. So, yeah, yeah there's, 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 a, there's a couple of the people that I'm interested in. Um, all right. We will, we will be back with more Westworld coverage next week. Uh, Christian, where can, where can the people find you on Yon so, Internets? So if you're looking for me, you can find me on, on Twitter and Instagram, mostly Twitter at, at C Hubicki. It's C H U B I C K I or Chubicki, which is, I think. That's how I pronounce Ch- it. Yeah. Chubicki, uh, Chewbacca's younger brother, I believe. Is, what, <laughs> so, is that um, canon? <laughs> uh, it, it, it is now. Yeah. Let's put, let's, 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 let's bomb Wikipedia with it. Uh, it's, uh, um, on Twitter. And if you want to find more about what I do, just look me up on ChristianHubicki.com. Did you see Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker? Speaking of Wikipedia. I did see Star Wars. Well, how did you feel about it? Oh, Do you man. want me to put you on the spot like this? No, you can a, put me on the spot. It's a divisive topic. It is a divisive topic. In we fact, got whenever, other things to worry about now. So you, we, you can't just let a, 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 an opinion of Star Wars Rise of Skywalker exist without uh, slings and arrows then. No, yeah, no, I understand that. It, it's, and uh, it's, it's funny on Twitter, like the Twitter algorithms, like they have the new Twitter topics that they changed over from previous stuff. And like it, it it's, it's, all I get in my Twitter topic stuff are like hot takes about Star Wars. So I see that that's all, even though I like, I want to get like coronavirus news. Right. Um, but, but man, it's just like, it's really interesting to see how they, how much they crammed into one movie. <laughs> they yeah. tried to, they, fin- they tried to finish a lot of stuff and they tried to introduce uh, a lot of things and finish a lot of things in one movie. And that, and, that, and that's tricky to do. So uh, we'll see. So we'll see. Uh, I, I haven't seen The Mandalorian. I hear good things. Though. Oh, Have you, seen you the Man- gotta watch The Mandalorian. Okay, uh, okay. Mandalorian's super fun. Okay, I'll, so I have to spring for Disney Plus then. That sounds good. Worth springing for. Uh, okay. it, it's it's a it's a really good show. Really, really super fun. Um, have you uh, have you heard anything about it? Oh, uh, I, I I know of Baby Yoda okay, because I, because I, I because say. because I exist on on planet Earth. Yeah. I know of Baby Baby Yoda. Yeah. I mean, I, so I mean, like the. Overall, my, my take on popular media, I mean, I can like just about anything. Um, I tend to give a lot of credit to shows that are more like, at least have some ambition to them. Like if like a, a show that has some ambition that might quite, may falter on the execution a bit, will will have my, will have my love. 
more than a show that's kind of like just trying to play it safe. Sure. So like, so Westworld, for instance, taking all these sort of like kind of like talking about pretty heady topics, like are we living in a simulation sort of things? You know, I, I can I can forgive minor flaws in the show if that's the, if it, if it goes for that sort of thing. So they're swinging so, for the fences. Swinging for the fences. I always give credit in my classes too. Like if if student has a final project where they're swinging for the fences, but it doesn't quite work out, I give them credit. Yeah. So um. So the Mandalorian, the idea of just kind of following around this one bounty hunter seems like a neat and small scale story that I could get behind in, in the big, vast Star Wars universe. That yeah. sounds that sounds fun. It's a kind of like a, like a Star Warsy, glossed up, uh, big budget looking um, version of like Hercules and Xena. Like it kind of has a, that spirit to it of like ah. uh, like adventure of the week to a certain degree at a certain point, uh, and that is not an insult. You know, this is coming from somebody who loved that shit growing up. You know, well, that's <laughs> awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it, and and uh, and like, and if you if people want to know like what like really tickles me, like what show like really just like just gets me, I love Better Call Saul. Oh I wow! Love, okay, cool. I love Better Call Saul. Um, and talk about it, it when I talk about ambition in storytelling. Um, I, I, the fact that they'll make a riveting scene where I'm on the edge of my seat and it's about like renewing malpractice insurance. Right. It's like, oh God, I, I love it. And like, and, um, I don't, I don't want to spoil what's happening in the most recent episode that came on, but like there's a scene with one character and that character's boss, which was really tense for me. And I would, and, 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 and it's just one boss like saying, Hey, I think you might have done something improper here. And, uh, and the, and the employee being like, I don't know what you're talking about. And like, I was like almost in hives like an hour later, just yeah. like, so they, like, I was so tense, like, no, no. And so like the fact that they managed to put that much emotional investment and, uh, in, into, into what would otherwise be a really dry plot line, I really admire. Uh, Christian, we do, uh, Better Call Saul podcasts here on post show recaps. Uh, this is your official invitation to join us after the season ends so we can, uh, do a look back on season five and a look ahead towards the final season of Better Call Saul. Oh, hit me up, Josh. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Okay. That's a great tease. Uh, Christian, hopefully we'll have you back on for some more Westworld chatter throughout the season two. That, that sounds fun as well. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, th- thank you. Thank you all for listening. I, I appreciate it. I hope, I hope people, um, you know, uh, learn, hopefully that you learned something. I uh, hope I tell you something you didn't already know. I think nobody uh, knew the thing about the Gregorian chants. Uh, okay, but that's, that's, that's probably good every, everything else I think we had on on lockdown. On lockdown, okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, so it's, it's, I, 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 figured, I figured as much. I figured Christian, I, uh, uh, just a, a pleasure to, to get to talk to you again in this capacity. Like we, uh, I've been very honored to have you as a friend in my life for the last little while. But uh, the fact that it's taken us this long to get on a microphone together is ridiculous and silly. I'm, I'm glad we managed to break this cold streak yes. and really just in a, and, 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 and really reconnect over microphone. <laughs> yes. All right. And maybe someday uh, I'll release the Snyder cut of first one out, uh, which includes us uh, arm wrestling. I still <laughs> have the right. video somewhere. I'll you find still, it. You, oh, wow. Yeah, wow. I've that, got it. It's cool. unreleased, unreleased footage. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, it's, I just eventually it's, like decide like I can't, I, it's too mortifying. I literally lost to every single person. Uh, didn't, well, didn't beat a single human being well you're mortified i mean like you you have um i, I don't know how long that interview was but uh, um in reality but like i was on lockdown for days without the ability to talk so i can't imagine everything that i said to you during that period of time my god that you, were, was, you <laughs> were the longest interview of the session of of everybody you exceeded an hour i believe you're uh, kidding but but in in your defense 
It also started pouring rain in the middle of our interview uh, to the point where like I had to completely like panically uh, reset my my whole setup because uh, speaking of uh, the destruction of technology, uh, it was raining from high above. We had to scramble with you as my my suddenly you were both like my assistant producer and my interview subject uh, as we scrambled to like stuff the microphone underneath the infamous table. Uh, we, we were, uh, you know, going through the pictures of everybody. You and I were both holding an umbrella together. Uh, I, there was nobody in that moment though, that I would have uh, preferred to be in such strange conditions with, uh, you were, you were a real trooper. It's really actually no surprise that you were able to sneak me a secret message given the panic that I was feeling in that moment. Yeah. I mean, I, I had all the advantages, uh, in in that moment. No, that, that was, that was, that was certainly very memorable. And, uh, and (laughs) That I, I'm 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 glad I, we got to share that time. I was looking forward to that interview, that entire pregame uh, season. Uh, one thing I will say to the Survivor fans at this point that like uh, it, it, it the, the who might not have known this, but like so you gave a puzzle to all of us, yes. right? So you gave a puzzle. Which uh, did you see? No one figured out the puzzle nobody, that you gave. Nobody. So I gave everybody a minute to. It was a four piece puzzle, uh, and you had to assemble these four pieces into a capital T. Uh, and it was, uh, it was carved out by my, my father-in-law, the great Dave Fox. Uh, and with a minute on the clock, no one was able to figure it out. Yeah, it was. And I'll tell you that really got in my head, Josh, yeah. in the pregame. I, know. I remember, I, and I, I actually wrote in my like notebook, like, cause I, I talked to you like basically the day or so before we actually were marooned on the island. And, and I was like, Oh no, if I'm no good in puzzles, I'm going to be useless to the tribe and I am sunk. Yeah. And, and so I met you two days later. And so like, so when this puzzle comes out, I'm like, I probably, I, I probably wildly overcompensating for the puzzle that you gave me. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, but yeah, that's, that. Well, well, you overcompensated, but you did a great job. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you know, you 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 made a long run, so I don't feel like I got you killed out there. No, no, you did not. It was. It, I, I, I'd like to think that no I gave guilt. you superpowers. Is what I like to think. That's uh, that seems fair. I like that to take credit for all of your success. Go right ahead, Josh. You got it. I'm going to go right ahead and do that. All right. We're going to go right ahead and call it on the podcast here. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, We'll be back. Uh, Everything's going on on Post Show Recaps. We've got Westworld. We've got Better Call Saul, The Lost Podcast. Curb Your Enthusiasm is almost over. Uh, Star Trek Picard Podcast. Are you watching Star Trek Picard? I am not watching Star Trek Picard. Jessica Lee, who is co-hosting that with Mike Bloom, her hot take is that it's the best Star Trek that has ever been. That is a hot take. Yes. That's a hot take indeed. Yes. So... Uh, maybe, maybe, and she's a Trekkie. She loves the show. She loves the franchise. Uh, so it's not like, uh, like this is my first instance with Star Trek and I'm saying this is the best. So, uh, maybe bump it up on your queue. Got it. Got it. I hear Riker makes pizza. <laughs> it's apparently, apparently that's real. I haven't gotten that far, but. I I, well, he did try cooking in, in Next Gen at one point. I, I, I remember people not liking it. So hopefully he's, he's, he's gotten better in the intervening. He's what, had time, right? He's had a couple years, decades yeah. since we've seen yeah. him last. Uh, all right, Chris, we could talk forever. Uh, let's just call it here. Uh, great times. Thanks for coming on. This was super fun. Great seeing you. All right. Bye. Bye.